Have you ever felt it? That excitement, that hum that reaches into the very base of your stomach and makes your whole body feel alive? Well, your life can feel like that. Each week, I'll be sharing ways your personal wellness journey can lead you to a life that literally makes you hum. We'll be diving into all things nutrition, mindset, connection, spirituality and relationships to encourage you to be courageous and brave with your life and most importantly, unashamedly you. Together, let's find your hum. Welcome back to Find Your Hum. I'm your host, Kirsty, and this is episode 34. This week, I'm joined by Jane Corner, and we are discussing a gut-centered hypnotherapy. Now, you can probably hear that I am a little sniffly and blocked up at the moment. This is the effects of having no exposure to germs for the past year. It's also a great reminder to make sure that we are always attending to our immune systems and not just waiting until we are struck down with something. For me, I can absolutely see how this has been kicking my butt. I have had a fair bit of trouble sleeping of late, which is 100% needed for our body to do any kind of repair. This has been triggered by some low-level stress, which also impacts our immune system. Then there was the change in time zones, which plays havoc on the body. And in the past couple of years, I've had two double winters. So you can imagine what my vitamin D level would be like. Definitely not as much as it would normally be. All of this contributes to an immune system that may not be as robust as it normally is. So what have I done? Well, I rested the first couple of days, like properly rested. Like the first day was a pyjama day. I did not get out of my pyjamas all day, which was hilarious because I was with my nieces at the time and my four-year-old niece did look at me like, "Um, hello, you are not getting out of your pyjamas? And I'm like, "Uh, definitely not, which was, like I said, quite funny. Then apart from that, I literally just did the basics, like a bit of cooking and then pretty much nothing. I made up a batch, well, actually, I'm on to batch two of my immune-boosting honey. This is honey infused with the germ-fighting goodness of garlic and honey. I've been doubling down on the veggies, ones particularly like a capsicum, which is like super high in vitamin C, greens, and making sure I'm getting my required intake of protein every day. Protein is needed to make the immunoglobulins that help fight off viruses. Now, after those first couple of days, I also made sure that I moved my body. Nothing too strenuous, some long wrist walks in the fresh air and the sun. It really is about listening to your body and giving it everything it needs to get better. Because your body is pretty amazing and it literally spends all of its time keeping you alive. Giving it a little helping hand now and then only really makes that process easier. Now, this week's episode... Jane Corner is a gut-directed hypnotherapist and a gut health coach. She helps women get long-lasting relief from IBS symptoms without restrictive diets, medication, even if they've been suffering for decades. Now, gut disorders are so common, particularly IBS, and I find those who I see have had these disorders for some time, meaning that healing goes way beyond the food. That is where something like gut-directed hypnosis can really help. I've sent a few clients to have this done with such amazing results. Now, we don't delve into IBS in a great detail in this episode, so if you want a little more information on that, head back to the episode titled Irritable Bowel Syndrome, Causes and Relief. 
I recorded this interview with Jane whilst in quarantine and the Wi-Fi was generally pretty good. It did play up during this recording, of course. So you will find that it does go a little bit iffy in places, but I promise you, you do not lose any of the goodness Jane offers up. If you found this episode interesting and helpful and know of someone who would also benefit from hearing it, I would love you to share it. The more people that find their hum, the more amazing life will be. To help the listeners get to know a little about you, what was it like where you grew up, Jane? Well, I, so I'm in Melbourne, um, Melbourne now, I actually live on the top of a mountain in a rainforest about an hour and a half out of Melbourne, um, which is a little bit different, but originally I'm from the UK. So my roots are Kent, so southeast of London and moved out to uh, sunny Australia, though it's very cold and wet at the moment, but moved out about 14 years ago. Mm. Oh, lovely. And what was it like in Kent? Like, were you an active child or... You know, was it a little bit more indoorsy? Like what kind of stuff did you like doing? I was a pretty shy um, kid. I think a lot of people when they meet me think that I'm an extrovert um, because I'm very bubbly. I've got a very positive sort of, I guess, personality. But deep down, I'm very much an introvert. I definitely need some alone time and, you know, going into new situations, especially nerve-wracking. Pretty active, um, I'm trying to think. I mean, the main, I think the main differences between England and Australia is really the outdoor lifestyle. And when I hear about some of your school sports that you have, like, you know, surfing, especially up in New South Wales and up in Queensland, I'm like, what? <laughs> um, we did more like tennis and hockey. So it was a bit different. Um, so yeah, pretty active, just, I guess, a, a sort of a, a pretty normal upbringing, um, but definitely not as outdoorsy as, as, the, uh, as the Aussies over here. Nice. And was there snow? There was, yes, which some people are surprised by because we're sort of southeast. Yeah. Uh, there was snow. We used to have back, gosh, I don't know, about 20 odd years ago, we used to have quite a bit of snow. Um, there is still snow that comes around. They've got some heavy snow this year. So, and it also snowed in Melbourne, which makes me feel a little bit more at home, which is yeah. cool. I suppose you're probably not too far from snowfields where you are either, than if you're depending which way from Melbourne you are? We're about, so I think we're about five hours drive up to Mount, is it Mount Buller? Um, probably an hour, two hours drive from the main kind of snowfields, but we're just higher, about 690 metres up. And it tends to snow from about 600, 620. So we, we're just in, we just get the snow, which is, which is great. I know I spent 18 months um, in the UK recently and I did get my one day of really good snow, like nice, proper covering oh. up. Because I was down south a bit more, definitely not as much snow. Yes. Yeah. Nice. Cool. Okay. Well, I have to talk about (laughs) gut-centered hypnotherapy, something that I absolutely just am so interested about, know a little bit about, um, and have actually suggested to clients of my own to go and get some gut-centered hypnotherapy, but yeah, so which is hence why I thought I would get you on the podcast. So what actually is gut-centered hypnotherapy? 
So we call it so we, we call it gut directed hypnotherapy because I suppose the, the clues in the name meaning that we've got hypnotherapy directed towards the gut, which is still what does that mean? Um, so it's a specific type of hypnotherapy, and, and no doubt we might sort of go into what hypnosis is and what hypnotherapy is, but essentially it was developed specifically for IBS, so irritable bowel syndrome and other digestive um, disorders, and it really targets the brain gut axis and we know in IBS it's a, a functional disorder where the brain and the gut just aren't talking to each other as they should so that's why it is so effective um, for IBS but really the hypnotherapy that I do in sessions with clients is specifically for the gut the suggestions that I give are for normal healthy gut functioning and I don't know if you want me to go into hypnotherapy now or whether that's a question to come a bit later, but no, happy to sort of dive in. Okay. So the way that I sort of start off when I get a new client in front of me who has no idea about hypnosis and hypnotherapy, and perhaps they've been referred um, from someone like yourself, or perhaps they have tried a whole bunch of things for their gut issues and they're not getting anywhere and they've read about gut-directed hypnotherapy. So when we think thinking about you've got your conscious mind and your subconscious mind is really where you make a lot active as we're having this conversation. And as your listeners are about 5% of your mind power, it's where your short-term memory lives. It's where your willpower lives, which is why when you want to create new changes in your life and you're just relying on willpower, why it feels so hard. So that's your conscious part. On the other side or underneath that, you've got your subconscious mind, which makes up about 95% of your, of your brain power. And it's been estimated by scientists to be about 30,000 times more powerful. It's where your um, long-term memory lives. It's where your habits, your beliefs. We can also put the word limiting in front of the word beliefs. It's where your values lie. It's where your emotions lie, especially emotions connected to memories. When you, when you go back and you think of something that's happened in your life and there's an emotion attached to it, that comes from the subconscious mind. Is responsible for is a lot of functions in the body. So your heart rate, you're not consciously um, controlling the beat and the rhythm of your heart. Yes, you have some degree of control over your breath. For example, if you're in a yoga class, you can consciously slow your breath. But by and large, especially when you're asleep, your subconscious is really running the show with your bodily, you know, some of the bodily functions, um, including digestion. And that's when back in the 80s, when they started to really look at hypnosis and um, which is really a state at which we can access the subconscious mind and bring it really to the front, how we can start to make changes based on suggestions to the digestive system and actually start to get, um, you know, the bowel where things might not be going the way they should, how we can start to get that functioning healthily and normally. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I suppose particularly oh. because I understand that whole gut-brain connection because it's just, it is so strong. Um, and I, obviously in the past, oh, even a couple of years, but going, you know, five years ago, that link has just, you know, come on in leaps and bounds in how much we mm. understand that connection. Um, I know there's a lot of research being done with the gut up to the brain and sort of all those disorders, but it's really nice to be able to 
have someone like yourself that just brings it back to that, you know, a lot of those functional disorders that we have in our gut is so linked mm. to all those subconscious things. Like you said, emotions from the past, stress, all that kind of stuff. You must see, mm. I suppose, a lot of your clients that have got that as a pattern. Definitely. The way that I talk and the framework that I talk clients through is sort of there's four parts to it. We've got our nervous system. We know that the nervous system is involved. Um, if we're looking at specifically IBS in this case, we know that the nervous system involved. We know that there's a there's a miscommunication between, you know, the um, central nervous system to so the the. Um, I guess the brain in your head and then you've got your brain in your gut and there's those two aren't talking to each other. So there's nervous system. We also know with um, IBS, there's a physical component and this is where food comes in. So this is when you've got, you know, underlying food intolerance and food allergies, but also sensitivity to eating certain foods that we can start to create positive changes in the gut there. Also things like sleep and exercise. So physical things that are impacting the body. We know that there's a cognitive element, so the thoughts, and often this will come up that if you eat something that you or has triggered a response in the past, there's an anxiety that comes up. There's a thought that says, "Oh my God, I've eaten." Let's say it's let's say it's gluten. It's sort of a it can be a red flag for some people with IBS. Let's say you've eaten this bread. Oh my God, I'm gonna get I'm gonna get a reaction. Oh my God, where's the toilet? Oh my God, oh my God. Your body goes into that anxiety, that that stress response, and what can happen is you can cause your to trigger IBS, even if the thing that you ate wasn't going to cause your IBS to flare up. So there's a cognitive element, and then there's also a very strong emotional element, and that can be the frustration, the confusion, um, absolutely the stress and anxiety of everyday life, not necessarily what's happening in the gut as well. So it's it's really all four components that impact the gut. With the sort of hypnosis that you would do in therapy work, I don't know, can you use those two words interchangeably? I don't know if there's actually a difference between. Yes, yes. So, so hypnotherapy is basically therapy while someone is in hypnosis. Yeah. So hypnosis, we call it a trance state. And um, I think people are like, oh my God, you're putting me into trance. It, there's nothing to be, you know, there's so many myths and misconceptions, but effectively hypnosis is just a very deep, relaxed inward state of being you're in a hypnosis when you're driving the car you know if you've ever got in the car and you've started at point a and you've driven to point b and you think oh my god i don't i don't remember driving you've been in a state of hypnosis when you're reading a book and you're totally engrossed in that book and you have no you know someone might call your name like oh what what you're in a state of hypnosis so what hypnotherapy is it's therapy when you're in that state of hypnosis and when the brain slows down, and I won't go too much into brain state, um, but when your brain starts to slow down into alpha and theta waves, when we start to, as I mentioned, the subconscious really comes up to the fore, you know, to the forefront. Um, that's what hypnotherapy is all about. Yeah, lovely. So, do you find? Because I, I suppose for me, I get a lot of people that come in with gut issues, and generally by the time they get to me, they've had quite long-standing gut issues and mm. one of the ways I do is I go back to like where did it start from because obviously for the most part you aren't born with IBS it's something that gets developed yeah. um but some people can have this for like years and years I mean my 
myself, I look back at what I was like as a child and I think I probably had IBS back then as well. Do you, when you're helping these people, do you go back to maybe the states and the areas that triggered it in the first place or is it sort of around the anxiety and the loops that are currently in the process with the IBS now? That is a really great question. With IBS, it's very hard. It can be hard to identify what triggered it in the first place. For some people, it's crystal clear. It could be a pregnancy. It could be, you know, hormones in the body. Just there's an interesting or there's there's a way that we kind of talk about it as um, it's like the pothole theory, meaning if you think about your body as a car and you drive over a pothole, that pothole could be emotional, it could be physical, it could be mental, it could be a whole combination of things. But you drive over that pothole and suddenly, you know, the wheels are not quite aligned and the car doesn't drive as it should. And it's, you know, things are wearing down. Um, Would it be helpful to go back and find where in the road that pothole was? possibly but what we do instead is to go well the car is or the body is um the way it is why don't we just fix and realign the wheels and when we think about the body realign realign the brain gut access so sometimes it can be helpful i actually had a client this morning who her triggers very much stress very much stress response and it's a response that's still playing out in her life it doesn't make sense for us to go back to really unplug that what what makes more sense is to say okay how are you handling your stress how are you reacting to the stress in your life there are some hypnotherapists who work in um with gut directed hypnotherapy that do go back to the initial trigger and sometimes there's a real strong emotional trigger point back in the past there's two schools of thought you could go back, but I, I'm of the opinion that it's more important to, to move forward and to understand where we are now and then to move forward from that point rather than looking for where the pothole was in the road that caused the misalignment in the first place, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I like that. And if someone can have better strategies, better coping with the stress that's happening now, then that trigger, even if it started like you said whenever they they hit that pothole the fact that now they're not continually getting triggered into that state means that that IBS Mm -hmm. flare and stuff is not going to be there like the trigger for the flare because it's not I mean most people have IBS it's not generally a continual thing yes definitely for some but there are like you said it's, it's those triggers that really set them off yeah yeah and I think as well like and I guess you know there's there's obviously diet strategies that you can do as well um but, but giving people the, the toolbox. So rather than when a flare up comes um, and we may get onto this when we sort of um, with, with my story, like I had IBS as a, as a teen and as a young adult. And rather than when you get a flare up and you just, oh my goodness, you know, the emotion and the frustration and just, I mean, it's just, it's just awful. It, it can just feel awful, especially when, you're not getting any answers. Everyone that you've spoken to says, well, it's just IBS and off you go. But to be able to give someone a toolbox and to be able to give someone strategies of, okay, I have a flare up. This is what I need to do. If I just keep calm and follow these steps and have some support, it's, I'm going to get through it and it's going to be okay. Yeah. I think and that, I think just having that relieves so much anxiety. Yeah. And I think it's it definitely a toolbox. Um, 
I mean, like I'm always under the impression, I work with people in terms of, yes, obviously if they're having a flare up and we need to take some foods out in the meantime to, you know, get them some relief, but you just want them Mm. back to eating as much as they can, enjoying life as much, not being worried about going out. Like I think so many people don't understand that when you have IBS and quite severe IBS or severe flares, even if it's not all the time, it can be quite socially isolating. You don't want to go out. You don't feel that great in yourself. So to be able to give people the tools to not only for me, be able to enjoy food because I mean, like food's the best thing ever. So you don't want that to cause anxiety, but then to be able to go out and do that with the people that you love, like that just tick, tick, tick for me. Yeah, totally. Totally. Yeah. I always used to feel that when I was growing up and, you know, used to go out for food and I, and I have, you know, clients and you, and you just, you kind of get known as the food challenged friend, you know, think, Oh God, you know, (laughs) so yeah, to be able to go out and to know that you, that you can go to a restaurant, you can order, you can not feel like the odd one out sitting at a table, um, having, you know, the, the special food, um, is amazing. I think it's, you know, such a gift. Yeah. And it's so nice too, to be able to sit down and look at a menu and be the, you know, not be that person, like you said, is the food chain, like, oh, I can't eat that. Or what if I eat that? Or, you know, which is my, the option that's going to harm me the least? Like that is what it's like. I mean, it certainly has been my um, experience in the past personally, but again, like I say that with my clients and it's, yeah, there's so much freedom in being able to do all those things. Um, yeah. I know that myself, when I've had um, hypnosis, I haven't actually had it for my gut, which is surprising. I probably should go and do that. Um, mm. I've had other um, hypnosis before. And what I like about it um, is that you don't actually realise, I think, like nothing suddenly changes. It's not like one of those things where, I don't know, like you wake up and you think, oh, my goodness, like I'm cured or different. It's the next time something happens, just you can just feel a whole different response to that situation. Um, and the trigger is just not there. Is that very similar to what it would be for the gut ones as well? Yes. I'm, I'm pleased you've said that. I think, and I think, I'd, I don't know if it's, this, if it's the same for you, but I think with hypnotherapy and gut-directed hypnotherapy, by the time someone, not always, but a lot of the time, by the time somebody comes to, to someone like myself, they have tried so many things and they're desperate. And I, and I completely get it. I completely understand. And they just, A, I think they're, compl- they're relieved that somebody understands. And again, you must have this with your clients. And when you're like, oh yeah, it's this, it's not... Um, it's not in your head. It's not this thing that doesn't exist and you're completely normal. It does exist. It's a thing. And this is what we're going to do about it. So I think there's a relief. And then after there's the relief of somebody understands what's happening is that, well, hypnotherapist, you just wave your magical wand and, and, and you fix me. So there sometimes can be an expectation that in one session, they're going to, you know, walk away and everything's going to be fine. But exactly what you've said, you know, there are, the ways that you respond to that situation and the thing to remember is that it it's it's like everything it takes a long you know some people may have been living with ibs for a long long time there is a combination of emotional of unhelpful thoughts that we need to 
look at and so they're not triggering symptoms there's a whole sort of collective of things that we need to work on and for the gut on average i would say it's hard some some people notice a difference after one or two sessions obviously depending on their symptoms but on average four to six sessions is when we really start to see improvements and for some it can take a little longer but usually after four clients are starting to, to notice a, a real difference in terms of their you know in terms of their bowel mo motions or um like with pain um with a severity and how often they're getting pain so yeah one it, it's not a wake up the next day and i'm you know i'm free i'm fine <laughs> it, it, it is a journey and it is a process i know in most people that have ibs it's quite chronic because I mean let's face it they've probably suffered with it for quite some time before they even went to their doctors about it because it's one of those things that you just kind of like brush aside and think will get better because it does come in flares you don't generally have it all the time so it's like oh my tummy's upset or uh, whether or not it's diarrhea based or you're constipated and you can't go and then it becomes okay again or the bloating's there and then it goes away again and um, again the pain's there and then it goes away so you've got all these like little bits that you don't necessarily always put together and then you go to your doctor when it starts getting to a point and unfortunately because IBS is a lifestyle while well, I would call it a lifestyle disease it's a syndrome there's no pill that the doctor can give you there's no surgery they can have so conventional medicine is not that great with dealing with our lifestyle diseases amazing and I don't like doctor bashing because you know if I you know had a severe infection or you know, my leg yeah. was broken. Absolutely. hundred percent. But with these more lifestyle driven things, like we said, they're driven by stress and stuff like that. They're not trained in how to like solve those yeah. problems. Yeah. So then those people, you know, go to their doctors. They don't really get any great help. Maybe just told to go on a low FODMAP diet, which again can help for a little while, but then because you haven't addressed what's underlying, the triggers are still there and then it's less and less food. So yeah, by the time they've got to someone like yourself, it's, it's years. And then I, you just think I always have to tell people, please be patient and kind to your body. Like it's not doing this to hurt you or to, you know, be negative towards you. Um, it was actually crying out for help for quite some time and you didn't listen to it. Um, so now you need to be patient. And if you've suffered with this for, you know, two, three, 10 years, even more so, yeah, it's going to take more than one session of anything to be able to make you feel better again. Yeah. I think it's um, exactly what you said there about being kind and patient to your body. There's a big part for a lot of women that I work with, and it's really, and it's really sad, like, because it's this lack of trust in their body. It's, it's almost like the one thing that you should, you should have, have trust in. And I don't like using the word should, but it's the one thing that you, that you think you can always rely on. And then suddenly your body is reacting in ways that you, you feel as though you've got no control over. So then there's this huge piece of, of trust and confidence in your body outside of, you know, triggers and everything else which again adds to the emotional load, which again adds to the thought load. And again, you know, it all builds up. So that piece of just, you know, kindness and patience, I think is so important. Yeah. And I love that thing about trusting too. Um, I think as women, and I say that a lot actually um, with people that I like work with is 
Mm-hmm. They've lost that disconnection to their body. They don't understand what it's telling them. They just like push those symptoms and stuff aside. So they, they've lost the ability to be able to connect and trust with their body. So it's really nice to be able to help people get that back again. Now I'm going to have to ask you, what would be the biggest misconception about gut-centered hypnotherapy? Probably more around hypnosis and hypnotherapy. I remember someone asked, this is weird. Normally it's, will you make me cluck like a chicken? I was once asked whether I'd turn someone into a toaster. I have no idea to this day where the toaster came from. And uh, yeah, that always makes me laugh. And I'm like, no, I won't make you into a toaster. So I think that this, you know, there's this lack of, you know, I'm going to lose control. She's going to make me do things that I'm, I don't want to do. So I think there's a real misconception with hypnotists stage hypnotists with when people see the words hypnotherapy and uh and hypnosis so that would probably be the biggest the biggest misconception about what it is and just so the listeners know you don't turn them into a chicken or a toaster (laughs) no (laughs) no no you know it's one of those things um I've I, I seem to perhaps it's just my energy or just, you know, the way I am, I seem to, to have clients or who have, if they've had hypnotherapy in the past, they haven't felt that they could be hypnotized. They haven't allowed themselves or there's, I mean, we can sort of go into that if, if, if you wanted to, but some people don't, can't, I don't like using the word can't, but, but aren't able to relax to that depth in with some hypnotherapists. And I find I, I, I seem to attract the clients who straight up say to me, no one's been able to hypnotize me. Um, and one of the things I say to them is, you are always in control at any point, at any point you can open your eyes. And for some clients who have that real like, oh, you know, I say to them, you know, just open your eyes. And they're like, oh, okay. Um, so it's knowing that you always have control and it's actually impossible for me to make someone do something that they wouldn't do under normal waking awareness. They might be very shy to do it. Um, but if it's not already somewhere in that personality, somewhere in that person, I cannot make you anyone do anything that they don't want to, that they don't want to do. And there's definitely no um, pendulum swinging in front of eyes either, is there? No, <laughs> no. I think those days, I hope, are long gone. I mean, there are techniques that you can, uh, more of the stage show techniques and there's, you know, more sort of fun when we start to use hypnosis in more fun ways, but you can use it. But no, no, in terms of hypnotherapy and, and the work that I do, there is absolutely no pendulums. Um, do you find it is generally more females that you see with this kind of work? It's interesting. I've recently started working with a gentleman over in India. Um, I know the, the research in kind of Western countries, the IBS falls into about two thirds of women. And then when we start to look at Asian countries, it actually skews more to men. And I think that's really interesting. And I would I would almost put that to stress and lifestyle and the expectations that society places on the different sexes in or different genders in, in different countries, which is really interesting. Um, I do tend to work more with women. I don't know if that's because, again, you know, I think, and you may get this as well, you know, different clients are attracted to you for different, for different reasons. So whether that's just, as I say, the, the way that I work and, and 
and how I am um, and whether women are more open to hypnotherapy. I, I don't know. I don't know, but it's, it's predominantly women. And as I say, I've, I've just started working with a, a lovely young man in India. I find um, a lot of my clients, I, probably, I do skew more towards females, but the male clients I do have, whenever I ask them about their digestion, it's like, because I will we'll always ask questions around different body systems, and there's never any problem. <laughs> I'm like, how yeah. is that possible? Ask the females, always something. And I just think, yeah, like you said, it probably comes down to the different expectations of um, the different groups in different like parts of the world. And I think that's really interesting. Um, yeah yeah it'd be that'd be cool to do a study on one of the other interesting things just sort of expanding on that is I was reading um uh so I, I do a lot of cognitive behavioral therapy as well with with IBS um so I sort of combine it based on obviously the client and, and sort of what we need to address but one of the things in that when we start to look at unhelpful thoughts that are triggering symptoms is the thought processes behind perfectionism and it's fascinating if you correlate the um and again sorry women but but you know this is just something i think so many of us fall prey to the impact of perfectionism wanting to control life wanting everything to be our way if you correlate that in terms of ibs symptoms it is absolutely crazy it's it's crazy in terms of that personality trait in terms of those thought processes happening with with ibs yeah uh, absolutely I can see that too it's generally the type a people I mean I generally get type a clients mm. men and women actually mm. yeah because they're all the ones that are hustle bustle go 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 needing to get everything done perfectionism like yeah. top of their game all that kind of stuff yeah definitely I can see how that yeah. would be a link there 100 percent now you did touch on it before about how you had been suffering with IBS in your teens and twenties. Is that what made you go down this line of very, very interesting work? Because it's not like it's something that you get told about during um, your careers day in year ten. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I first had my first. Um, that was a lot of first. Um, <laughs> IBS flare when I was 15 so I was on the way to a friend's birthday party a party I'd been looking forward to for such a long time and I got there and within half an hour I just felt so sick with pain like I just never had experienced anything like it you know I wasn't sick because normally I think people associate a stomach ache with a stomach bug you know the sickness is diarrhea there's you know some upset for me my IBS was very pain dominant I would get sometimes mixed more diarrhea based IBS very much to do with emotion very much stress triggered my parents were just starting to go through a pretty ugly divorce and I was going through exams and it was really a combination of that that my doctor was like this is you know this is what's going on and and that was it pretty much I was given peppermint capsules and and off I went. And, you know, from that journey for many years, I refused to accept that IBS label. I refused to accept that there was nothing I could do. I refused to accept that I would have to have a peppermint capsule every hour before, you know, an hour before I ate. I mean, you just, you can't live like that. You know, spontaneity goes out the window. And that set me on a journey of, of research and understanding more about food and stress and emotion. 
I actually went into marketing. So I did a, my background's marketing, worked in advertising for over a decade. So you can imagine the impact on, you know, of stress in that industry. And it was about four years ago and I ran, I guess, two, two careers or, you know, my, my absolute passion, health and wellbeing with marketing for several years. And then four years ago, I went, right, I'm, I, I'm going to do what I, I feel I'm, I'm here to do. And I became a wellness coach and then went on to become a clinical hypnotherapist. And it was probably a year after I was qualified that I saw a training on gut directed hypnotherapy. And I was like, what is this? Like, what? This is a thing. And it was so exciting. So I did that training in Australia. I then went on to do one of the top trainings in the US. And then I'm also trained in the IBS protocol in the UK, which is actually used in the NHS hospitals and has about a a plus 80% success rate in clients. So over that time, I've just, I'm just, you know, I just absorb everything I can in a sponge because even I, you know, continually continually find it a fascinating area to work in oh yeah there's so much development all the time and I think that's why I love the nutrition side of things mm. anything to do with the body like it's just there's always new developments new things happening like just how everything ties in together it's yeah it's absolutely so fascinating but what an, such an interesting yeah. way to go down it too because yeah I mean gut-centered hypnotherapy is definitely not um a very common to have so yeah that's really common and when you said about the nhs do they actually do like gut directed hypnotherapy in the nhs yes yes which is what i absolutely love now i cannot remember from the top of my head what the time is i i have a feeling that you would have had to have met the criteria for at least 12 months and tried I think perhaps a low FODMAP diet and other interventions, and then you can sort of get it on the NHS. I think, I think, but it's certainly used in the NHS now, which is fantastic. So good. I must say, like having just spent time over there and obviously seeing clients over there, the way that they approach some things like that is very like good. They have quite expansive in their thinking about some of the more alternative therapies, which is nice. And they even have um, like things like vitamin D and calcium and stuff like that on prescription, which I think is amazing. Oh, wow. That is cool. That is very cool. So, um, yeah, well, we would have to buy supplements over here if you were actually deficient and you needed them. Yeah, they provide them for you, which is within us. How interesting. Yeah. Not to say that they're perfect. I mean, they're definitely, obviously, it's a... um, it's a health system. It's never going, no health system is perfect. But yeah, just something different that I noticed when I was over there. So one of my areas, especially is, is SIBO. So small intestinal bacteria overgrowth, which is often a bit of an underlying trigger for people's IBS. Do you have a lot of patients, clients that you see with SIBO? The presenting, I suppose, symptoms when they come to me is is very much IBS. So my background in terms of diagnostics with SIBO, I when someone comes to me, one of the first things I ask them is, have you been diagnosed with IBS? Because there are red flags that are very important not to ignore. 
and I want to make sure there's nothing else going on. So I usually only take clients on that have been diagnosed by a healthcare professional with IBS or I, or I go very carefully with the criteria and the symptoms that they're presenting with. So we don't tend to talk a lot about SIBO. It might be in the background, but predominantly it's, it's the IBS symptoms um, that, we, that we talk about, which in turn can obviously benefit um, well, the, the, all of the body really, you know, when we think about inflammation and everything. So, um, yeah, does that answer the question? Yeah. Cause I mean, obviously I've, and I was over in the UK, actually I had a, a SIBO client that I sent for some yeah. gut scented hypnotherapy, um, to, I didn't realize it was an NHS. So I would have sent them there. They wouldn't have had to pay for it uh, <laughs> yeah. in the future though. Yeah. Just because I'm um, obviously um, so them and they got some really good results because again the underlying especially again depending what has triggered your SIBO because there is different ways of doing that um, once the test has been had like obviously the way you test for SIBO yes. is with a breath test so you can see that they've actually got it and it's not something else. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I find that one of one of the biggest triggers is that stress piece and I think that's where it probably marries quite nicely together. Definitely. I mean, when we think about using um, gut-directed hypnotherapy with SIBO and, and that stress, it can do two things. One, just merely being in the state of hypnosis sends a message to your body that it's safe. Yes. You know, merely deep breathing and abdominal breathing sends a message to your body that it's safe. When people have been in a chronic uh, stress state, their gut doesn't know <laughs> which way it's going am I speeding up am I slowing down am I like what what's going on and so that sensitivity in the bowel is just is skewed so a being in that hyp hypnotic state in that in that trance state is it can really be enough just to get things working as it should get the blood back to the to the, to the digestive system and then the second thing about that is we look at, and we talked about it earlier on, we look at what is creating stress in someone's life. And then we start to say, well, okay, if we can't remove or reduce that stress, how can we change our response to it? And so it's, it's a dual approach, I think, things that we can do when we're in hypnosis and things that we can do in our conscious waking, you know, state. So before the final questions, can you let our listeners know where they can find you, how they can work with you and anything that you've got coming up? Absolutely. So they can find me at the calm and happy gut.com. Um, I'm also big on social media. So the handle is the calm, happy gut on um, YouTube and Instagram is probably the best place to find me um, in terms of how people can work with me. So I have a free um, Facebook support community, which is called the calm and happy gut IBS support community. So they can find me there. I run a program, which is a six session protocol called the calm gut method that I take clients through. And as I mentioned, you know, I have clients from the US, the East coast, the West coast, across Australia, um, the UK, and also just started working in India. So um, location is, is definitely not an issue in terms of working with me. Yeah, nice. Okay, so the final questions. How do you sustain, mm. strengthen, and nurture your life? My biggest one is movement. It's definitely exercise and movement. If I don't move or make time to get outside and move my body, I feel it big time 
So for me, even though, you know, I am running a busy clinic with clients, making time and practicing what I preach and getting out and moving my body is absolutely key. And I think second to that is, is boundaries, is actually creating hard boundaries. And again, as women, you know, we, we're not great at this and we like to people please. And again, some of these things do fall into that sort of IBS, you know, for triggers um, with not really holding firm on who we are and what we need. But for me, it's like, no, this is when I finish. This is when I'm going out for a walk. And, and it's just honoring, I suppose, my time and, and my boundaries. Yeah, lovely. Because I always say that to my clients. No is a complete sentence. It doesn't need to be yes. just, yeah, um, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> totally. Yeah, I think that's, that's great. And I like that movement one too because I find that, yeah, so much sedentary time now, I, that's such a stress in the body. I don't think people realise that, that, you know, sitting down for too long actually causes a type of stress in the body as well. So love yes. those two. Yeah. And what are you currently doing in your life to find your hum? I am, I mean, I live to be, to be honest, I mean, you know, living, living in a rainforest on a mountain is, uh, is, is, is pretty, is pretty, is pretty <laughs> nice. Um, so I, I think I made, you know, when I worked in corporate all those years ago, I made some promises to myself about what I would do and what I wouldn't do and you know nature and getting out into and, and moving my body are things that I just I, I do all the time I sort of take it um not for granted but I'm very grateful for that but I make a point of doing them I think additional things and you know, I've got I've got a birthday coming up next month and it's going it's it's celebrating it's taking time off it's it's you know putting blocking the week out and doing and doing something for me and not and not feeling guilty for doing that to be able to just take some time out yes and not feeling guilty thing that is a big thing absolutely I don't know why you know time for ourselves has to be classified as a treat like it's what we need to fill our cups so we can fill others absolutely yeah definitely Thank you so very much for your time. This has been a wonderful conversation. I am sure the listeners got so much out of it in terms of um, like what it is. I know I've definitely had some people ask me about it. So it's been really good. Thank you. Amazing. Oh, thank you for inviting me on. It's been, it's been great to chat. And um, yeah, if there are, if there are any questions, people are welcome to, to reach out to, uh, to ask me directly. I know it's a, it's an it's a weird and interesting and wonderful world of hypnosis so as as much as i can break down some of the stereotypes or you know how how it can actually help and benefit people then that's great yeah perfect thank you so much no problem cheers for tuning in to another episode of find your hum don't forget to subscribe oh and tell your mates about it